Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the dinner table. I have just been involved in one of the most loving and amazing dinners tonight with one of my good friends, Sandy Finner. Sandy, thank you so much for coming out and having dinner with me tonight. You're welcome. And more than just having dinner, we're going to dig into this here in a little bit, but cooking me Greek meatball soup tonight, like, like the mom that you always wanted to come and cook you some like most delicious food. Sandy did that for me tonight, and I am so grateful to have you here tonight. And I'm so grateful for the conversations that we've already had, and I'm excited to to dig in and talk some more. So you've been listening to the podcast since the beginning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So four years of hearing all the stories and the back-end stories, and um, yeah, so I don't know, just any thoughts about getting to be on the podcast now and like some of the changes, some of the format changes that have happened? Not going to lie. I wanted to be a guest from day one. So. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to cook you some Greek food. She told me like, at the farmer's market yeah. one day. <laughs> yes. Sign me up. Uh, ultimate fangirl. Um, I listened to every episode. Still waiting on that cookbook. But, I know, right? I'm um, here to give you a little nudge. <laughs> Again, yeah. Well, you know, God works in mysterious ways, and that's not even a joke. Like, there, I have no idea what's about to come, but there is definitely things that are happening, and I'm really glad to have so many friends that are interested in being and still wanting to be a part of the podcast and still wanting to um, not only listen but actually be a part of it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the idea that I might be able to start getting some regulars that come because. My son, Cortland, who is like the smartest person on the planet, in my personal opinion, he gave me a lot of information as a Gen Zer about <laughs> what kinds of content people want in podcasts and that I needed to get on Twitter. <laughs> and so I did get on Twitter, um, but he was telling me that one of the really good things about podcasts and people, what the people like about podcasts is they like getting attached to people, right? So, um, when it was Joe and I, you know, getting attached to the Joe and Aislinn show, and now it's Aislinn and getting attached to Aislinn. And then, okay, who are some other people that you can bring on mom that can be like regular? And of course, you guys that have been listening from the beginning, you got attached to Cortland and Lillian and Savannah and Hunter and all of the people, Vicky and Paul and all the different characters on the show. And I think that it's probably possible that people have gotten attached to Sandy because even though you haven't been on the podcast yet, <laughs> everybody knows your name because I talk about you on the podcast. And there's certain people that I talk about on the podcast all the time. And so I'm excited to see where it goes with um, potentially bringing on like regular guests. So you can come and cook Greek food for me anytime, <laughs> <laughs> make me feel loved. And then we'll talk about it all on the podcast, just like we did tonight. Sounds good. <laughs> so I got a really, speaking of fun people coming out and just interesting things happening. And a lot of that is occurring right now. I, I ran across a guy on Facebook that had been doing a lot of, um, landscape photography, birds, um, just interesting landscape things in Corpus Christi, ships, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he was interested in getting better at doing photography of people. And so he just said, like, is there anybody out there that wants to take pictures, uh, wants me to take photographs of them? And I said, oh, hey, um, you want to come out to the farm and catch some photos of me working? Because that'll give you landscape and me and, and a person. And so um, Jesse Glover is his name, and he came out on Tuesday and took some photographs of 
me working at the farm. So there's going to be some changes on some of my photographs on my um, website. Some of that has already changed. And so that was a lot of fun. And he has a drone. So now I'm going to get him out here like droning through the grapevines and wow. like some really cool stuff. And he's just such a nice, nice guy. I had such a nice time meeting him. And then, so that happened on Tuesday. It's been a busy week at the farm. That happened on Tuesday. Um, Saturday, you know, as a regular listener to the podcast that my friend Lisa passed away in December. And that was really, really, really hard and heartbreaking for me. And um, we had an event out here for her memorial. So the whole weekend was her memorial. And Lisa was just this, did you know Lisa? Mm-mm. I know that you know Lisa right. because of how you always talked about her. Well, she was just this fairy, this rainbow of light, this something just really special in energy. And one of the things that she did for me was that she loved on the things that I loved on. And she didn't just say she loved on it. She like came out and put her like meditative vibration, energy, called out people, other people to come and be a part of things. She did that for the learning garden. She did that for here at the farm, you know, cooking things, anything that I wanted to cook or I mean, just anything I was doing, she put her vibes down on it. And so it felt like just the right thing to do to have an event for her out here at the farm, a foodie event. And so, and it turned out to be such an excellent event. It was a bunch of like 20 year old kids because her daughters are fairly young. And so a whole crowd of Gen Z's <laughs> that were like the total hippie vibe, but just loved this place out here and felt so honored. And so they were so respectful wow. about the space. And they were so like, even though I was like, I'm, this was probably one of the first times that I'm really beginning to realize that like, I'm the grown up in the room because my children are old enough to be adults now at a party where they're respectful to the adult at the party. And I'm the adult at the party and yes, ma'am. And you know, things like that. And, but they were so that what Jesse came and told me at the farm uh, today, he actually came back today to bring me back the jump drive with the, the photos in it. And then those kids and all the people that came out here for that event at the farm talking about how good it feels out here at the farm. Like when you step on the property and that's the thing that I keep hearing is how good it feels. And then also something about like this light that people are seeing off of me in, in, in a new and interesting way. And I'm feeling that so much that this weekend, the thing with Lisa it was almost like I needed that. I needed that confidence of putting that event on. You know, that was a thing that, you know, I spent the last 10 years of my life putting on a lot of events with another person, with like a partner. And now I'm doing this event by myself. And so to be able to get that kind of feedback back from people has been really like screaming, God, got this at me you know, mm-hmm. like regularly. And I really appreciate how often that, you know, I, I set out back in, well, toward the end of last year when things were really getting hard. And also when, you know, Lisa had gotten sick and there was just a lot of stuff that was going on in my life. That was a, a huge like tower moment, a huge change. You know, you're about to hit rock bottom <laughs> uh, <laughs> moment in my life that 
being able to say to myself that when 2023 came, that I I was making a different kind of commitment to what this farm was about. And one of the things I actually really love about the podcast is, is that you've gotten to see that evolution. You've gotten to hear me say, like, I'm doing something different out here. And what is it, you know, having the conversations, like, what what do I actually want to do here at the farm? You know, and what I wanted to do was to be a place of healing. What I wanted was to be a lighthouse. What I wanted was to be this like really special, safe environment of peace and love. That's what I wanted to offer people, not just the farm itself, but also me as a person that would attract people to want to come hang out at the farm. And then once they got here to the farm, they would be able to feel that kind of stuff. And so there's something about kind of this new era of people talking to me and expressing that kind of stuff back to me, but then also Lisa's death. And then you made a comment at dinner tonight, and this is one of the things that I'm, you know, the gardener side of me. It's like, what I feel differently about now is that every death feeds life. That's what death is about. And death is actually a gift. And that was when I I spoke here at the memorial service here um, to the crowd and I, and I, and to their daughter, to her daughters and, and the crowd. And I said, I want you to understand that your mother gave you a gift. Your mother gave us all a gift. And now we have a responsibility. And Lisa coming here to the farm in the very beginning, like back in 2012, when we were first just like putting our feet on the land and all I had inside my mind was like visions of like, I don't know. And I, and I have always like, back in the old days, we were talking about the 125 people on, you know, that, that came here to the farm, the Freedom Harvest Farms Island, you know, and the communal style of living and <laughs> Aislinn's rules and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think that, um, that, that I had this vision inside of my mind of like people being here. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm trying to process what does that actually look like? And, um, it's, it's fun to be able to see that, but it's also, I have a responsibility, but I made a commitment to God last year and the, the garden, the Monday garden healing time and opening the farm up and having just open farm day, I made a commitment to God. And I think that that has been like the biggest, like earthquaking thing about these messages that I'm hearing back for people. And then like the idea that people are coming here to the farm and just, and they say, and I don't, this isn't something I'm asking for. I'm not like, so how does it feel here on the farm? What, what does it feel like to come here to the farm? You know, none of that. It's just, they come here to the farm, they fiddle around for a few minutes, they go over and let me feed the chickens with them, you know, or whatever. And they say, God, it just feels so good out here. And I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's exactly what I needed to hear. So I'm glad to have, um, have had the opportunity to have you out here for that as well. We're here in June now, and I do have some things coming up in June. I have the um, an organic gardening class that I'm doing on June the 17th. I know you've said you've been wanting to come to an organic gardening class. <laughs> you should come on a Monday. Like that would be bring the girls yes. on a Monday and mm-hmm. come to Garden Healing. But organic gardening class, June 17th, I'm going to do another one of the food is medicine cooking classes. And that turned out really well. I want to talk about that and the food we made in just a second. And then I'm doing something new. Speaking of good vibes on the farm, I'm doing a summer solstice garden party on June the 21st. 
we were talking a little bit this evening about the figs Mm -hmm. and the vibe of the figs and how beautiful the grapes are out here. And it's just this amazing spring. It's been so beautiful here on the farm. Um, and this feeling and, and rolling into the summer solstice and just, so I'm going to host this event and I'm going to show off the grapes and I'm going to share some of the wine that I have with my friends. And like I did, what'd you think? You had, so good. <laughs> you had some tonight. Yeah. So good. And, and walking in the vineyard with yes. the grapes over your head uh-huh. and then coming in and drinking it, There's, you cannot beat that connection. Right. I mean, it's, it's, far, it's like do- outside to inside instantaneously. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty magical. And when you said solstice, it's like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so have you ever heard of sun gazing before? Have you ever done that? Where you like actually look at the sun? No. Okay. So I had never heard of it before either, but last year in July, uh, my best friend always has his birthday up at the lake. And he was telling me because he actually had a, um, a brain tumor and he had to have surgery on his brain. And apparently he'd been doing a lot of self-help and a lot of meditative and like learning a lot of stuff about that. But he had learned that you, at certain times of the day when the sun is like completely setting and it's like a different color, you actually look at the sun and it like gives you a lot of vitamin D and it just, there's a whole like, okay. I didn't know that's what it was called. I didn't either. Right. (laughs) So he explained that to me and he was like, it'll actually like clear out your brain. And he was like telling me this whole process about it. And so sun gazing, I looked at it. So I was like, okay, so when I got this idea of summer solstice garden party, I was like, okay, well, what would we do? Like, what, what would be something we would want to do? And at the end of the day, what I decided is what we're going to do is just like be on a farm that's awesome and eat some delicious food and enjoy being here. But the thing that I came across as the thing we're going to do is sun gazing because that's, you know, and I'm not going to tell everybody stare at the sun because... <laughs> That's, you know, people, uh, there's lots of information out there on the internet. We're going to, I'll have to do an unanswered question <laughs> dong on the um, sun gazing and look up sun gazing. But there is some like some fear, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's fear about everything. You yeah. and I know, know, both know that there's fear about everything. But um, I want to set us up in a position, you know, out by the vineyards or whatever, where we have the ability to just like completely watch the sun come down and actually watch mm-hmm. the sun. For the summer solstice. And there's so, so much re- research about watching the sun come up and watching the sun go down. Uh-huh. It resets your circadian rhythm and it affects uh-huh. your eye health, your blood pressure, your heart rate, a lot of things. And yeah. you'll notice that children, when they're outside all day, or if you're camping or in a place with no screens, they do so much better when uh-huh. they see the sun come up and the sun go down. I do so much better when I yes. see the sun come up and sun go, go down. And we have... My friend Tommy lives in Michigan and she talked about the whole time she's down here during the winter, the Texas skies. And I've heard people talk about Texas skies. You're from Philadelphia. So you probably (laughs) have this, uh, maybe this experience too. I didn't know what she meant. And she was like, no, you like, you have so much sky here. Like there's (laughs) nothing to block it. It's just like sky all day. I had heard people talk about the Texas skies, but I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to watch that. And then to see this purple and like almost rainbow colored, beautiful sunsets and sunrises. And we see, I mean, like I, I get a full fledged view of just the most beautiful sunrise and sunset. And they say that on the summer solstice, 
you're supposed to watch the sunrise and the sunset. So I'll be encouraging everybody to watch the sunrise that morning and then inviting them to the farm. That's June the 21st. And if you're interested in finding out anything about my June classes, go sign up for my email because I'm going to send an email about it. But also you can always just DM me. You guys know how to get a hold of me through that kind of stuff pretty easily as well. All right. So last week, and you and I are going to dig into talking about the figs even more. And the figs have been a hot topic over the last couple of weeks. But last week we talked about the idea that there's a wasp inside the figs. Mm -hmm. And I, you mentioned and I had said last week that um, there are people that won't eat the yeah. <laughs> fig because of the wasp. So I came across, it's treehugger.com, which by the way, treehugger.com, I want to have that magazine, <laughs> online magazine, right? Are there really dead wasps in your figs? And it says, figs are sweet, edible fruit, often sold by themselves in jams or as base for desserts. Perhaps you hesitant to purchase figs after hearing the rumor that there was a dead wasp inside them. It turns out it isn't just a rumor. And then they, they go on to talk about while figs are generally considered a fruit, they're technically an inverted flower. So that, and it's called like a fluorescent or something like that. And so, which is interesting because I, one of the things that really makes figs work well here on the farm, we get heavy, heavy, heavy duty March winds. And so that's right at the time when you've got a lot of flowers on your fruit trees and the wind blows all the flowers off. So we end up with like pears only on half of the trees. Well, because the fig tree doesn't have a traditional flower, it doesn't blow the, so that's why part of the reason why the figs do so well on the farm. I, we're officially becoming fig farmers here at Freedom <laughs> Harvest Farms because th it has been the most glorious years to watch to have these, how many figs are growing on these trees. Uh, okay, so it says that the flower must be pollinated in order to reproduce, but since a fig's flower is hidden inside itself, the pollinator must crawl inside the fig to bring the pollen directly to the flower, and, and, the fl and it brings the flower inside where the female wasp lays her eggs. So yes, all this waspy stuff, <laughs> waspy figgy stuff is going on. Here's an interesting thing that I learned from reading this article. It talked about how the figs have male figs and female figs on the tree. So if I go out there and look, the ones that are really small, that just are hard and just in the, eventually just fall off, that's actually a male fig. And then there's the female figs, which are the big fat ones, which are the ones that you actually eat as a fruit. So it said that if you go, let's see, a young fig tree produces edible male figs called capra figs, which produce the pollen. And it says the female wasp crawls inside both the male and the female figs to try to reproduce. They burrow inside the fig through a narrow opening called an osteole. So, you know, that little bunghole looking mm. thing. <laughs> <laughs> the osteole. If the female wife, wa if the female wasp arrives in a male fig, also known as a capra fig, she, she lays her eggs and then dies. Her eggs hatch with blind flightless male wasps hatching first. The mate with their, they mate with their female counterparts. The male wasp then burrows a tunnel out of the capra fig and the females fly out full of fertilized eggs and carrying the pollen, starting the cycle anew. So that's in the male one, right? But in the female one, it actually like goes inside and dies or something like that. And so then that's the part of it where people go, oh, I'm eating a wasp, right? And I was thinking about that because I'm out there, I'm probably eating like 20 something figs a day. Like I'm getting more than my fair share of fig. Plus I'm harvesting five to 10 pounds of figs a day. Like this has been an amazing fig season, 
but I'm not getting any kind of like crunchiness or anything <laughs> like that. So I'm like, okay, what happens? And of course the article goes on to talk about how the, um, the inside of the fig actually digests the wasp. Mm-hmm. And so, and one of the things I was reading when I was looking up interesting facts about figs, because now I want to like study the fig like <laughs> deeply. And of course it's perfect to have a Greek dinner tonight where we <laughs> could talk about figs and the way that that juice works inside of a fig, it actually is a digestion. So you can tenderize your meat with it. And it's like a really good meat tenderizer. And I'm sure that there's lots of other things that over the millennials that we millennials <laughs> over the <laughs> millenniums or the long existence that we've had as um, human race. And, and even before we had history of human race, um, that the fig tree has been an important part. It's probably every kind of medicinal, like it's probably been used for every kind of medicinal pot possible mm-hmm. um, being as important as it is. I just have this like deep, like desire to know more about figs now and so um, I was really excited to uh, when you came and you were coming to bring Greek food. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a perfect like segue <laughs> from last week to this week where I'm going to make a fig salad. I'm a fig farmer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a fig farmer. Exactly. So I had that cooking class on uh, Tuesday night and it ended up being, it was a small class, but it was perfect. And I ended up having it here inside the house. And that gave me a huge amount of confidence. Number one, because I don't know if you guys know, but like six weeks ago, Aislinn wasn't cooking. <laughs> now Aislinn's <laughs> teaching cooking classes. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that of course I could cook and I was leading what we were cooking. And I'm certainly the person that knows how to find all the ingredients and make sure we have the best ingredients and knows the flavors that we want to put together and all of that kind of stuff. So um, stepping into this AIP diet and learning all about it and trying to figure out where all the food was, I mean, basically. Basically, last night we made the um, chicken Florentine that I've talked about on the podcast here a few times now. That is a solid good recipe for satisfaction. You know, like I think that one of the big things that I wanted to talk to people about during the class is like things I've been talking about on the podcast about, you know, budget, convenience, all that. But what is the things that make people give up when they're really trying to commit to cleaning their diet up or, and I'm not even talking about being on a diet, but I'm just like cleaning their lifestyle up. The cravings for things, the comforts, um, the satisfaction, the craving satisfaction. So one of the things that I learned at the beginning of practicing the hundred, you know, in the 120 days, one of the things that I learned at the beginning was, is that I'm, I was missing that like creamy comfort food. Mm -hmm. Right. And so trying to figure out ways to do pastas and like creamier dishes and so that chicken Florentine has become like one of my absolute favorites. Like I, I could serve that anywhere to anyone and they would love it and not know that it's like an extremely healthy diet, <laughs> like food with all of the most healthy foods you could eat. So I made that and then we made the, help me pronounce it, jajiki. 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 You jajiki. got it. <laughs> I got it. So I made that again and you got to taste it tonight. Yes, I approve. <laughs> I approve. So Okay. So now it's becoming a running, um, are we going to eat jajiki every single week? <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. So I made that with everybody. And then I also made my um, 
after dinner smoothie that I talked about when we went to like Louisiana and we, it's bananas and carobs and frozen strawberries. And of course you throw your spinach in it and a beet if you've got it, cause that adds the pretty color to it and whatever. And fin so we finished our meal off with having a super sweet chocolatey flavored and everybody was really happy with the class. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and do it again. I think that some of the things about what do I actually want to do here at the farm that that feels so good, giving people healing answers to their diet. And the food is medicine concept as a class, and you and I talk about food as medicine, like as everything, we, every time we get together at the farmer's market or whatever, but like the idea of food is medicine, it doesn't have to be AIP diet all the time. Mm -mm. It's just the idea that where can you get more quality meat? How can I find food that actually has um, nutrition in it? rather than just like baseless food. Um, how do I talk to chefs and get them to be able to serve me something that's maybe a little bit different than normal? How do I convince my family to want to eat stuff? Like this chicken Florentine dish, any family member would want to eat it and find it delicious. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago when we did the tomato sauce, Tam was like, "You, I would have never even known if you hadn't told me that it wasn't just, you know, a meat sauce, that kind of thing. So, and the the food that you made tonight, like you changed up a little bit by leaving the rice out of it, but really that was a very comfort. Now, um, we added the eggs to it cause that's, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm an egg eater, but that's part of the thing of me saying like food is medicine doesn't have to be only this diet. It's just, what are we trying to do? We're trying to help people deal with their inflammation, their skin rashes, like I mean, I don't know, like headaches. I mean, you, what it's are some It's not a medicinal diet. It's either feeding disease or fighting disease always. So food as medicine is what side is your food falling on? Yes. So it doesn't have to be a special diet or for short term. It's just always trying to make better choices. Yes. Um, and I made you peasant food. I made you a cheap dish that would be in anyone's home. It's not fancy. I don't know if I've ever even seen it served at a restaurant. Um, it's amazing. But it's healing. It had that really good bone broth and the eggs. It doesn't have to have meat, but we put meat in there. We omitted yeah. what didn't work for your diet and it was still very satisfying and filling and warming. And that that is medicine in not only the nutrients of the food, but in the feeling that you get from breaking bread with someone else. Yeah. So. You were talking about that, about that, that Greeks – are like they might smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and you know all this stuff but they'd live you know blue zones and they live such long happy lives and and i immediately said it's because they're loving it's because their heart is in it you know mm -hmm. and i think that that's a big part that we sometimes as americans and and probably as a um the culture that we're in as a even across the world at this point that there's just a lot of this disconnect that occurs where we are getting sick and we, and there is reason to blame it on food, but food isn't the only thing you can blame it on. Just like my autoimmune issues, I can't only blame it on food. I have to blame it on stress and lifestyle and just mm -hmm. all of the other things that were going on. And honestly, those things have to come at the top of the list. And then that's what helps you move into a place where you start to make the changes in your diet and stuff like that. But one of the things I've been telling people a lot lately is that I believe very strongly that my body is a temple and all it is, is a communication tool for the spirit to speak through me. Right. And what, and to communicate through me, 
hands and feet of God, that kind of thing, but also to help me understand something I need to fix. And so if my body's screaming something at me, could be any kind of like major disease, or it could just be like a certain pain, like a sciatic nerve in your back. What is it that your body's telling you? And where is it holding on to some kind of trauma that you need to, you know, look into and ask the spirit to help you through? And I've been doing a lot of that lately is like really paying more attention to food is medicine, but the idea that start with, okay, I think that there's an element of like, it is something we can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that God says, okay, I'm going to give you this body so that you can actually have, like, you can, you can begin to visualize how to get back to me, you know, by I'm going to use your body to like teach you these things, you mm -hmm. know, everything. I always talk about like space and time. Like now we're getting all the way out there, but <laughs> I always talk about like how space and time is a gift too, because mm -hmm. it's like, if you could create the way. If you understood how easily it was to create instantaneously everything you think about, you would be killing people with every thought you had. You would be like doing some really horrific things. Mm -hmm. God gave you space and time to figure things out before you destroyed, like before you created hell, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, which we've done a little bit of already. So speaking of this delicious food is medicine, Greek meatball soup. <laughs> I want you to explain to us exactly what you did, which by the way, this was an amazing comfort food. And I can't say enough how grateful I am for you to come into my home and bring that love into my home tonight because it meant so much to me. So first tell me, you told me how to pronounce the way you say it in Greek. Mm -hmm. So it's uvarlakia, which is the meat. Uvarlakia. Avro limono. So, meat, little meat uh -huh. balls, little meat barrels, uh -huh. egg and lemon. Nice. So, the egg and lemon is often made by itself or with a chicken chicken soup, uh -huh. um, but the little meat is the difference. So, we did meat balls. I don't do little barrels. I do little meat balls. <laughs> nice. Do they make them like actual like little barrel? Do they make them a different shape? The, yeah, they can. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I loved hearing the stories about your dad. Like that was the first thing. Cause she came in and just like set up house. And, and first of all, she goes, don't forget, I'm a doula. I just make myself at home in people's houses. So she came in and she just started setting herself up. But the first thing you started telling me was about how your dad made food for you and how much that meant to you. And I think I'm always trying to recreate the feeling I feel when I go to his house um, the welcoming and the feeding the masses with just really basic ingredients, which mm -hmm. I think is what we have lost as a society. We've overcomplicated things. Mm -hmm. And that is what prevents us from loving on our neighbors and bringing people in and hospitality and why it seems so difficult because we have just made it so crazy. Yeah. Everything's got to be perfect. We have to try new ingredients. We have to have all yeah. these special sauces. And, and while those things are fun, they're not practical for really bringing people yeah. in often. And so I'm always trying to replicate the magic that is Nico uh -huh. <laughs> um, at his home. And, and he lives in Philadelphia he still. He lives in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And his sole purpose in life is to feed people. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> sometimes to a point where you're you're thinking, I could not possibly eat another bite. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and he's like, how about some more? <laughs> um, it makes him feel really good to feed people. 
and and healthy food. He is very adamant that you're eating good, nutritious, filling food. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of eggs and meat and rice and vegetables um, and fresh baked bread and feta cheese and and that's about it. Uh-huh. It doesn't get any more complicated yeah, so than good. <laughs> a little olive oil, a little salt, a little pepper. Um, and yet people just keep coming back. And and there's something so great about the little pressure that that puts on, on the guest as well uh-huh. to think they made this fancy salmon and, right. and capers and like tiramisu or, or whatever fancy meal you can think of puts a lot of pressure on your guest as well to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a little too much for them. Maybe they don't eat fish. Maybe, you yeah. know, they try not to do the sweets. But when you have very simple food that that you're saying, you know, just join me at my table. This is just a regular Tuesday dinner. Mm-hmm. It, it makes your guests feel like you're bringing them into your real space, not your representative space. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that felt so good because this soup that you made was really very basic. I was very surprised at like the simple. So tell us the simple ingredients that were in it. So I had a big batch of bone broth that I made with leftover bones, Mm -hmm. very inexpensive, very easy to make. You just, it's a watch pot. It just Uh boils down and cooks, makes this delicious broth. It's very healing, has lots of uh, nutrients and minerals and amazing flavor. Okay. So tell, like, actually tell us how you do, how many hours, like what's the so what do you put in it right, besides? Let's just, start with yeah. bone broth. Yeah, so start with bone broth. Bone broth is you're going to collect all the bones that you get from your meat, whether that's beef or chicken or lamb or even fish. And you're going to save those in the freezer until you're ready to make a batch of bone broth. And when mm-hmm. you're home all day, you're going to throw it on the stove with peppers and onions and celery and garlic and carrots and then your seasonings of choice. And you're just going to throw it all in the pot and you're going to cook it down until it turns into this magical thick gelatinous jelly yeah i noticed that and that is your gelatin and collagen and all of those delicious things uh, that come out of bones that we need for our bones and our joints right um and so you can make a batch of that you can can it you can freeze it you can i want to learn how to can it by the way (laughs) when you were talking about that i'm like i want that's one thing i did tell my mom this morning that i need to get a little bit more experience with learning how to can some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. She makes the fig preserves. She just made some Rotel uh, with the tomatoes and the peppers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so that's not that's a skill I don't have. So I need to learn some of that. I would love to learn, work with I you. I just yeah. learned how to can this year. I taught myself. Good for um, you. In the last year, I was a commitment I made for – um, 2022 that I was going to learn how to can. Uh-huh. And I don't know what I was so afraid of. It right. really is easy. Yeah. Um, everything. Do you have a pressure canner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Everything is just devoting the time to doing it. And uh-huh. that again is where we fall short is making space for things that we enjoy and we feel are important, but that's an opportunity cost, right? You're not doing something else. You're staying at home doing something on your stove, but it really is very life-giving to feel that you can make nutritious food and uh-huh. feed people. Yeah. This is life-saving stuff yeah, here. It is. I mean, this is medicine. Right. I mean, this is what we make children when they are sick. Uh-huh. Um, so we made the bone broth. I had a big batch of that and I, you know, try to slip it into everything. If you're, whatever you're cooking with, what are you can cook with bone broth? Yeah. Um, so we had that. Uh, we had some lamb from Turkey Hollow mm. um, in mm-hmm. favor of ground beef, which mm-hmm. is usually what I use because mm-hmm. I don't always have lamb. 
Um, but I knew that was going to be a nice uh, treat, treat for yes. the beginning of June. And I so uh, we did lamb meatballs, very basic salt, no pepper because of autoimmune, uh-huh. um, but normally salt and pepper mm-hmm. and tons of oregano. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the most oregano you've ever used in your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you talked about that as being medicine too, that you were like your dad- yes was oregano is the answer to everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's antimicrobial, it's antibacterial. Mm-hmm. Um, oregano oil is very popular for ailments. And yep. so, um, we're very adamant about putting oregano in our food. Yeah. Um, we just boiled the meatballs in this lovely chicken broth with mm-hmm. more oregano. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that's sufficiently cooked, you could even let it simmer all day if you like. Um, we have a bowl set aside with some egg yolks mm-hmm. that we let come to room temperature if they're not already. And they're sitting in lemon juice. Mm-hmm. And I call it a little egg ceviche. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. let those eggs uh, sit in the lemon juice while the pot is boiling. Um, Greeks are also very much about lemon, if you didn't know. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, at restaurants, there is not ketchup on the table. There's a bottle of lemon juice. <laughs> nice. Um, and so... Once the soup is cooked, we try to cool it down a little bit, and we're going to start to temper the eggs. So we're going to pour the broth into the egg mixture very slowly and constantly whisking, whisking, whisking to bring up the temperature of the eggs to the temperature of the soup. We're going to combine both, and we have this delicious, silky, filling, protein-rich broth that is like none other on this planet. (laughs) Yes. It was so good. And I was sitting there watching her whisk this. And I'm just like, and, and, and what I loved was the whole time you were talking to me, you guys know how you just can imagine this amazing, loving Greek mom, like talking to you while she's cooking. (laughs) This is my friend, Sandy, you guys, I'm not kidding. And she's like, you have to learn to take time. And and so now she's talking about being patient (laughs) while she's stirring, whisking the eggs and She's like, I always get so frustrated myself because if you pour the hot in too fast, then you'll turn it into scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. you're like, it's not that big of a deal if you do, but like you want to get your sauce right. You know, yeah. you want to get your, but it takes time and it takes patience and it's mm-hmm. like commitment to that thing. And I how must we... have stood there for five whole minutes stirring yeah. the eggs yeah. very, very slowly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I appreciated the like, the like value to paying this attention to God gave us time, use the time wisely, you know, pay attention to what you're doing, take the time to go through this and make this soup. And, and, and then it just, and then it was there and it was ready. Maybe if you get some greens together, like make sure you have eggs. Cause I need your eggs. I'm like, okay, I got that. Well, it's that time of year when I don't have a lot of like good greens. So I had some arugula and then I had the spinach and kale that I buy from the grocery store. Um, but I thought I've been making cucumber salads lately because it's cucumber season. And then last week when they put the figs into the salad, I was like, well, that's a genius idea. So I made in my own mind, I made cucumber, red onion, fig. That was the topping part of it. And it had some lemon juice and some balsamic vinegar and some salt. That was the part that went on top of arugula and the spinach and kale. And I thought it would be a great pairing because you're bringing a Greek soup and it's fig season. And so let's just bring this on together. Right. And apparently it set you off. (laughs) Um, That's PG 13. (laughs) 
<laughs> she was like, mm, this is so good. Is so, I, yes, the little ambrosia of there. <laughs> I was so glad that you liked it. Because, I mean, that it's was just like so out of my good. brain. I was like, well, let's just try mixing yes. these things and together. And so simple. Uh-huh. It's the moment you cut that cucumber, the smell. Yeah. There's just nothing like this homegrown food. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about food being medicine, just that that euphoria that you feel when you smell a cucumber being uh-huh. cut, you're not going to get that from food that's void of nutrition. It, it's void of feeling. It's yes. void of love. It you is. Know, there was no love going into it when it was prepared for you. There's yeah. no love coming out of it when you prepare it. Yes. And so it was just an entire experience. And then that just definitely pushed me out of the edge. It was good. <laughs> and that, when we've been talking about the making sure that your food has nutritional value to it, right? And I've mentioned that like you can taste, my food actually tastes different. Mm-hmm. It tastes like life. Yep. Well, that smell, like what you're talking about, that smell from the cucumber that you go and get a cucumber from the grocery store. Now I've been able to get those of us that know good vegetables. We know how to find good vegetables. And so you had mentioned that you all get the little cucumbers, the little English cucumbers mm-hmm. too, when you buy them from the grocery store. Well, same kind of thing. Those are actually better than a lot of the stuff that you get, but a lot of the cucumbers you get, like if you go to a place that has a salad and you get a salad and has cucumbers on it, they have no smell. They have no taste. Mm-hmm. They're like slimy little, you know, whatever. And there, I think that, I think that what I'm feeling, even in this conversation and all the things that I've been talking about today and people coming to the farm and it's like the food tastes like love and the air feels like love. And there's just a different set of life and vitality and peace going on Mm -hmm. around people that are living that way, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when we come together, but I, I don't know why my brain just like chased this rabbit, but I'm going there (laughs) because immediately my brain thought to myself, I need friends to talk to on the phone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you coming here tonight and bringing your love to the farm, right? Instead of the farm being the place where the farm has all the love and Aislinn has all the love, tonight Sandy brought the love to the farm and to Aislinn. And now I'm like, oh, when I need, when I'm having one of those days where I'm just feeling really down and I need to talk to a friend, I'm going to call Sandy. Like <laughs> I had that thought in my mind. And you have talked about, and you came out for the, housewarming party that we had a couple of years ago. And I remember you talking about that, like the connectedness, the actual, like that's an important part of life to you is the actual conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that you teaching your girls, like we talked, we talked a little bit about that that night mm-hmm. about girls that were at the party that didn't like couldn't talk to anybody and just mm-hmm. head down in their screens. And then your daughter came right up to me <laughs> and she had a flower vase that she had made for me. And she just looked me straight in the eye and she talked to me, you know, and I think that that connection is a part of maybe what you're missing from the world right now. Do you mm-hmm. see that? Yeah. It's really hard in today's world to connect with people, um, on a very deep level because we're trying to foster so many relationships on a surface level that Mm -hmm. we don't have time. We don't value going deep with someone. It feels scary. Yes. Right. We're much more open when we're on social media or over text, even with our close friends. 
we have a hard time making eye contact. Children today yes. have, have a significantly lower tolerance for eye contact, um, especially after masking. They don't even know mm-hmm. facial expressions. Um, it's it's a problem um, to not look someone in the eye, to not put your arm around someone when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to me, almost to a point where I'm probably uncomfortable. <laughs> like people are like, why yeah. is she why is she so close to me? <laughs> yeah. Because I want you to feel that I value you and I value uh-huh. our time together. And when you slice a cucumber for me, I want you to know that I appreciate you doing that for me. Because uh-huh. you could just buy some pre-sliced cucumbers from H-E-B and they're void of everything that's good. And you could throw them on the table and say, well, that was cheap and fast and, you know, be on your way. But it's all those little things, all those little intentions that that's how you're showing people love when you have very little or when you have a lot. Mm -hmm. And so the point of tonight's meal was to show you that you could do a lot with very little Uh um, on any budget. Yeah. And that's really important to me because everyone should have access to that um, at any at any income level, that feeling. And and the, the world has shown us that we are not doing it right. The right. world has this. It's not sustainable. It's not working. Yes. We're all sick. We're, you know. Greece and Italy and mm-hmm. India and all these other countries have have mastered this art of hospitality. And yeah. we're, we are lacking. Well, one of the things, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last six weeks of my life is wealth. Like the wealth. A, a different understanding of wealth and looking around at like my friends and the way that they've come through for things. Right. And so people are, if you have to go through something, this is a pretty freaking great place. This farm here is a pretty freaking great place. And you have skills, you have time to do things and um, you can take simple meals and, and teach people how to eat good food. And they love that. And they're coming to you and asking for help. But then if you think about like what you just mentioned, Greek, India, I mean, like I've been doing a lot of studying in books recently about other cultures and how they're so happy, Mm -hmm. but here we have so many conveniences and so much stuff and money and we're not happy. Mm -hmm. And this idea, I'm going to talk about these books on a podcast with somebody soon, but Ishmael and the story of B and talking about the the takers and the leavers and the mm-hmm. takers were the people that just like our culture basically where it's just like everything is about us the world is about us mm-hmm. and we're here to just take everything we want and just strip 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 and we're supposedly the rich or the wealthy mm-hmm. and the poor people are just happily taking what they need and leaving the rest mm-hmm. the animals take what they leave they leave the rest and it doesn't mean, and this is where even I can take this all the way back to like the idea that death is a gift, that animals kill other animals, but it's not to just kill things. Mm-hmm. It's to actually like, it's a part of the system and the, mm-hmm. the inner relationship of the, how things all work on the planet. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what, that's part of what Ishmael and Storia B talks about. There's a lot in that book, but in those books. But one of the things they talk about is this idea that there's the takers and the leavers and the leavers just are happily enjoying their life and they're trying not to think about the future and they're trying not to think about the past. They're not worrying about dogs and animals certainly aren't really worrying about the future. All they're worrying about is their next meal. A lion 
All he's worrying about is his next meal. He could literally be laying down with lambs as <laughs> long as he's not hungry and it's time mm -hmm. to eat. Well, we're definitely a culture of the self. And we talked about that, mm -hmm. that everything is about us and mm -hmm. what we want and what we need and what we want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're not a culture of, of other, right. Of those other people that we need to love on and, and our neighbors. And that is all that we're called to do is love on our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are very self-centered and we think that we are the cause of everything. We think we are the solution to everything. Right. And we're just not. Yeah. And so. And we, blaming ourselves and feeling guilty about selves is all about self. Yep. All of that stuff. It still comes back to being selfish. Uh-huh. Um, when we think that we are the key to everything or to nothing, um, we're still just focusing on ourselves and feeding people is a way to focus on others um, with whatever you have. And if anyone is struggling with hospitality or bringing people into their home or, you know, maybe even a central meeting place um, to feed people, you can do it with whatever you have. And actually, you know, lower income families um, donate more than oh yes, they do. Higher paid families. As an executive director, <laughs> or doing nonprofit. Ever, I mean, I I've stayed in the field of wellness and nonprofit my entire professional career, and I can tell you, hands down, no questions asked, low income people give significantly more money than higher income people. Mm -hmm. Even if higher income people give larger amounts, there's less people that do it, and it actually it probably even balances out completely. Like mm -hmm. they, they just give more money yep. per, based on the amount of money that they have to give. Mm -hmm. And I think about that too. Like I think about the way we give because when you're, when you're with people that are in need of things and you have this feeling in your heart, you have something to give and you give. But when you, Put yourself inside of a, a wealth capsule, a fancy car, fancy house, a fancy private jet, a fancy, you know, vacation on a yacht, you know, all of these things. You actually put yourself in a wealth bubble where you mm -hmm. actually don't even encounter. You, yeah. you have assistants that help you out with people. You have, you know, so you don't actually, you're isolated. Mm -hmm. And so then you don't even need, know yeah. what your fellow's need. Right. You know, and then sometimes that's what's where cracking points come for some wealthy people. It's like, you know, someone really close to them dies or needs something and mm -hmm. they crack open because yeah. they needed someone. They needed people. And we, we need to be needed as well. Mm -hmm. So, and we, you know, I said earlier, um, not only did I have someone in my home who, um, was willing to help me um, with the cooking mm -hmm. uh, at, a, at a birthday party so I could attend to other things. Um, not only did I need that person to help me, but that person needed me to need them. Yes. They wanted to feel useful and valued. And saying yes, it's, it's difficult to say yes to help. but Especially it, when you're a control freak and you want to be in control of everything. Because <laughs> yes. I think about that with the garden a lot. People want to mm -hmm. offer to help and I'm always like, oh, I don't know, you, yeah. you know, whatever. Or you're a martyr. I'll do it myself. Yes. Uh, no one knows how to do it right. I'll just do it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. we, we really need to share, as my sweet pastor always says, our time, talents, and treasures. And mm -hmm. you may not have all three. 
and that's okay. <laughs> but whatever you do have to share in your way that yes. works for you, you have something to give to others. Um, and it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be time. Yeah. It doesn't have to be food. Um, but you have something to offer. We all are here for a reason and we all have something to give. I think about that. And I mentioned it tonight that, um, I always felt like a little bit, um, there's a lot of me, I'm learning a lot about me right now. And a lot of things that I might have in the past seen as like, um, arrogant or egoic, the way I handle things, like what I do for people. And I'm not saying I I haven't actually shown up and wiped butts (laughs) or whatever, done laundry or whatever, because yeah, that has happened too. But the biggest thing I do as a compassion share is to actually share what I'm going through. And when I share what I'm going through, sometimes it's amazing experiences. Like I had an amazing friend come to dinner and make me this delicious Greek meatball soup. And I'm sharing that with you and what an experience that was and how that might make somebody feel so good just to hear someone else talking. And it might make them think, gosh, you know what? I need to start finding friends that I can call on the phone because I need to talk to somebody, right? Or I can share the stories of a heartbreak and a heartbreak that I never expected to have come. And there are other people out there that are having to face heartbreaks. And so the way that I do compassion is my way of doing it, Mm -hmm. right? And that And in the past, I thought a lot about the way, like, oh, I must not be compassionate because I'm not quick to show up and cook for somebody, Mm -hmm. or I must not be compassionate, or I'm arrogant because I tell everybody all of my stories about everything I'm going through. And so there's the selfishness that you were talking about early in me being like, um, Aislinn and what, and, and the way God expresses himself through Aislinn isn't good enough Mm -hmm. because she doesn't do it this way, the way other people do it. Mm -hmm. No, she does it the way God wants Aislinn to do it. And if she's not, well, it's very challenging. And God (laughs) is proving to her that she's doing it herself and not (laughs) letting God do it. And I spent a a life thump on the head. (laughs) Good Lord. I, good Lord. Has he taught me many, many times in the, all my adult life. And certainly I'm sure in my child life too, but all of my adult life, every single time I go along, I mean, grow local at the beginning of grow local, every single thing that I've ever started, I've been on God's path. And then all of a sudden I'm like, as soon as I got like, all right, I got this. And then I take (laughs) off. And the next thing I know I'm carrying like 20 loads of bags of rocks and whatever. And God's literally just sitting there going, Hey man, if you ever want to come on back, <laughs> we can try this again. I sure can help you carry those rocks. <laughs> I can literally carry them for you. I don't know if you've noticed that, but. But you know, you, you open your home, you live here on the farm and you open your home to others and let us walk through your blood, sweat, and tears. Literally. Literally. <laughs> um, and now, and I'm so excited for you that you are inviting people into your home. Um, because I know it can be hard when you're, when your business is your home and yes. you have to have healthy boundaries, definitely. But the fact that you're bringing people in, I think is, is going to just explode you on the inside. Like your heart is just going to be so filled with the people that you need and the people that need you. And I'm just, I'm so happy for you. I have really have always had a little bit of a dream of a a communal kind of thing going on. And I don't know exactly what that means, but, um, 
stay tuned because I know there's going to be more talk about it. Okay, this is a perfect one. All right, so we've gotten to that time. You know all about it. I don't even have to describe it to you because as a, f a regular listener, you know all about table topics. We play table topics all the time. We have like six different sets and it's Fantastic. one of our family's favorite things to do. I love it. I love it. Okay, so the question for tonight is, what's your favorite family tradition? Ooh, that, oh, I'm being put on the spot. Oh, we have so many. <laughs> um, probably playing games at the dinner table. Yeah. We started when our girls were really little and fighting us at dinner time about eating. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, we have one that's always been a difficult eater, and we would, you know, my husband brought out a game and said, "Okay, you can take a turn, but you have to take a bite." And now they're eleven and thirteen, and we still play a game at dinner every single night. Um, and we always have a great time and it keeps everyone engaged and busy. Um, so we always are at the dinner, at the kitchen table because yeah. we have to have space for our game. So yes. that's probably one of my favorites. I love that so much. And it makes sense to me why you tapped into one of the reasons maybe you tapped into this podcast early was because the concept was that dinner table talks. Like we're sitting around the dinner table. We started our dinner table with the kids playing games at the dinner table. That was like how we brought the family together, how we brought those four kids together was playing games at the dinner table. It was a rule in our house that you sat at the dinner table and ate. It only changed over the last couple of you know months as things changed around here that we just didn't seem to be sitting at the dinner table eating anymore, but we played games and we played Uno and we played, you know, and that was a big deal. So my favorite family tradition probably is um, crawfish boils. Like just always having a crawfish boil. Um, and that's a big family thing. I can say though, like even in addition to crawfish boil, I probably could say it could be any fam big family get together mm -hmm. of food. Because if I think about like the catfish boils, the shrimp boils, uh, a bit, a night of having all my whole life with my family, it was always getting together for a big ruckus family meal. And so I think that being at the dinner table is my favorite family tradition. <laughs> Yeah. How funny. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I Who would have thought? You have no idea what's coming. Um, that you started with your nuclear family at the dinner table and you have no idea who you're going to be serving. And there are angels among us, and I'm I'm ready to hear all about it. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for being here, Sandy. I love you and I love you all and support the podcast. I'll see you all very soon. Bye. Thank you.